0: So, I'm Tom Johnson at Intelligent Content 2014. I'm talking with Naz Urbina. Uh, Naz, can you tell us a little bit about what you're presenting on, the title, and what kind of uh, spurred your interest in the
1: topic? Right. Okay. I'm talking about uh, the biological imperative for intelligent content. So, what is the biological imperative for intelligent content? I'm basically saying that. Um, The brain's natural uh, mechanisms and the reward system in our brain is better served by intelligent content than traditional content. Um, How did I get there? I have been casually interested in the area for a few years, and I was reading more books, and then I started to get serious about it about two years ago, and I did quite extensive research, and I actually interviewed um, a clinical psychologist and psychobiologist and I had them review my, my theories and my presentation draft. Um, basically, I think that it has to do with uh, behavior. If we're going to influence users, if we're going to influence behavior, we should understand how the users work. Mm. And behavior starts and ends in the brain. It's mm. so all communication starts and ends in the brain. So I thought that that's, we should go down you know, to the bare essentials, come back down to the, like, the physics, the fundamental theories of how we communicate, and then build up again. Mm. Because uh, I've seen so many times in this industry where people are Getting sideswiped by things. They didn't see mobile coming. They didn't see what the implications of multi-channel were. They, they're not ready for wearable for technologies. They're not ready for augmented reality. Because they keep focusing, they keep focusing on what they're doing and not really putting themselves in the user's position and saying, okay, if the user's in this situation, then what's the natural next step? And anticipating what's Mm -hmm. coming next and I think if we look at the science and we look at the the, the deep user experience, the fundamental user experiences for everyone, then we can start to be proactive and not reactive. So you talked about the reward center in the brain as being kind of fundamental
0: and you're trying to like connect behaviors with the rewards. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit more about that? This is interesting because I work in now a a gamification company and it's constantly like uh, talking about these subjects. So what is the reward center? What triggers
1: So, um, we have in our brain, we have the the limbic system, uh, and part of which is the the amygdala. And I didn't want to get too technical, I don't know how technical (laughs) you want me to get in terms (laughs) of brain science here, but um, we have the, what do we remember things? we remember things uh, with a combination of parts of the brain. And uh, if we activate uh, our, our emotions when we're learning, we will actually learn differently. You, it's like you get a harder or stronger right to long-term memory if that's com- if that's combined with an emotional reaction. So, things like in gamification, when you get an emotional burst with the learning activity, you'll get a a harder and deeper uh, carved memory into Mm. the long-term memory. But it seems like usually the emotion that people get
0: when they're trying to learn something difficult Mm -hmm. is not like an endorphin rush. It's frustration, yes. Yes.
1: (laughs) So, that's one of the things I'm talking about in my presentation, is that uh, there's uh, there's a a ladder from individual experiences up to, uh, which is uh, eventually a model in the mind. Mm -hmm. Um, And I talk about beyond model and how model becomes identity. But um, if we're just talking about learning the new thing, from experience to model, there's several steps. Mm -hmm. And it's like the reverse of mountain climbing. Instead of being easy at the beginning and hard at the end, it's actually hard at the beginning and easy at the end. So there's learning inertia. Hmm. If you have a truly new thing, and you're climbing a new mountain. You're discouraged. You're physically discouraged mm. from at the beginning, but then there's a big payoff at the end. And then, if anything comes in, if it can be linked to an existing model that you already have in the brain, you'll get a re- you'll get an easier re- reward for adding to and improving existing models. H- how do you um,
0: implement like a feedback loop to the user so that? they start to feel good about what they're learning or they have some kind of feedback that's, that's that's I don't know, factoring into this reward center or this behavior.
1: Well, if you're working for a gamification company, you probably answer that right, better I than mean, I would these days. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, but I mean, so, in terms of documentation. So. Uh, in terms of documentation, I, I, I still think it's quite situational. Okay. What are you documenting? If you're documenting something where you're talking about embedded help, where you have um, help that's being used while the user is doing the task, you have different Opportunities than if you're talking about learning materials, where the learning process is very divorced from the doing process. So I don't think I could give a general answer to that, okay. like how you do it. Um, I think there's several strategies that you can employ. However. What I'm trying to talk about in my talk, and what I'm generalizing, is that it benefits us to really learn how the mind works, because that enables empathy. Hmm. That enables you to not just kind of think about me as the user, but really put yourself in my position, so that you can then uh, take yourself on that journey Mm-hmm. in a virtual reality projection of you know, sympathizing with me, empathizing with me and then and, and then uh, design better optimize better for my needs. This
0: is cool this you're like merging neuroscience with uh, the practice of documentation exactly of kind, yeah
1: right? in, in fa- I, I went, All the way to the beginning, I, in my research, I considered it to be a continuum. I went from like uh, particle physics and quantum mechanics to the development of of of, uh, molecules and how molecules become cells, how cells Mm -hmm. become life, like all the way um, up the complexity chain, and said, "If we got." Um, simple things, how do they learn, and then us as complicated things, how do we learn, and what is awesome about all of it is it's all reducible down to very beautiful, very elegant, uh, simple formulas. Hmm. All our complexity is based on um, simple reactions, this is a good thing, that's a bad thing, I'm going to do that again, I'm not going to do that again, hmm. <laughs> and all the all, it, it mirrors
0: code. Can you give any kind of examples of this in action, like something where I don't know, something that makes it a little more concrete.
1: Yeah, sorry. Yeah, no, I'm getting quite uh, out there a little bit. Um, what's my best example? <laughs> an example that would relate it back to, for example, something like documentation or just an example Anything. of?
0: any kind of content, whatever.
1: Any kind of content. So um, I'm telling people to see the user see through the user's eyes. Mm. And I talked in, I've talked, i talked to them in some of my other presentations, not in this one, about what I call four-dimensional content. Content that has uh, the length and width of the, of the content bit, but also depth and a time aspect. Mm. Think about where the user is going to be in their real-life human journey when your content gets presented. Mm. Um, and I'm going to be telling a story in my presentation about Delta Airlines, where um, I had a good experience on Delta. I had a brand-changing <laughs> experience, awesome yes. customer service experience on Delta, exceptional. So much so that I went, I wanted to bother to give them positive feedback. I took the names of the of the customer, of the, the air crew and the plane and stuff, and then I got off the plane, and I went on the site, and I'm looking for the feedback place, and they created a, f- a comment-slash-complaint form hmm. as one form. <laughs> and they're capturing like 40 form fields where you were what flight where are you flying for i'm like okay i want to give you a compliment but i don't want to give it that much yeah um and it didn't work on a phone. Hmm. And so you've made a non-responsive uh, page when the, the time I'm going to comment on an airline is when I have that little window between when I step off a plane, I get net again, mm-hmm. and I'm going to get through immigration and get my bag. That's your window. Yeah. You haven't thought about my real life experience. Because you haven't th- you haven't put yourself in my position. You've looked at me as a demographic. And you've, map- you've mapped what your use case said. And you've made sure that everything was ticked off on the website there's a form Mm. for that there's a form for that there's a page for this there's content for everything but you didn't put it into real human terms and therefore you did not optimize it for the real situation okay so that's what I'm trying to get people to do is come back to our universal qualities as as people what do we all share Mm. and then apply that to every communication opportunity. If people want to learn more about kind of just
0: this uh, kind of field, this topic, what would you suggest they search for or look at?
1: Oof. Um, <laughs> as I said, I went broad with this. Yeah. Um, I would recommend one book above all others uh, that I've read that looks at how we think. Mm-hmm. And that's called Thinking Fast and okay. Thinking Fast and Slow. Okay. That by that, Daniel Kenneman. Okay. And that is, he is the founder of Behavioral Economics. Alright. Behavioral economics is to economics as I think holistic content strategy and omnichannel content strategy is to previous forms of communication. Before Economists thought that we were rational creatures, that we mm-hmm. approached everything with a logical um, system, and that if we were provided all the data, we would take the best uh, solution for our interests. Mm-hmm. The example they give is mortgages. How much should you uh, take on as, as your mortgage payment? Mm-hmm. Right. Um, I'm, uh, 40% of your income. Yeah. 30% of your yeah. income. Yeah. <laughs> That's the maximum recommended. Yeah. yeah. So people don't look at their look at their spending look at their situation mm-hmm. look at all their outgoing versus their income and then think all right what's my appropriate mm-hmm. they they see that they're uh, allowed to take 40% so they get some house which is 40% yeah. of their income and that was OK. That was responsible financial products. Mm. And they said, no, that's not how we really work. How we really work is that we work o- in a single context. And anything that's not in that context is har- far, far harder for us to access in our minds. Um, and if we're given a default, we will take that default.
0: Mm.
1: We won't question that default and analyze it mm. as a layman um and so therefore if you give us a default you're actually greatly influencing the situation and i think that's that's a that's a uh, a reminder for all communicators to go. I come into this with all sorts of assumptions about what people do and what users like and what users will do if this or that happens. And they're not properly tested against the reality of, of human experience.
0: Wow. Well, that's cool. I mean, you're really getting into some deep topics and, and,
1: and the
0: psychology of the mind. So yeah. I'm looking forward to your presentation.
1: Thank you. I'm excited about it. I really am. I hope that it uh, I hope that it connects with people. All right. Well, thanks, Nos. Appreciate it. Pleasure. Thank you.